0: friends welcome to the Well. my name is ryan gear i'm the pastor here if you're new with us you're our guest and we're glad you're here thanks for joining us if you'd like to let us know you're here just text the word welcome to 480-530-7234 it'll text you back with a digital connect card just fill that out and tell us about yourself and you'll get more information about the well we appreciate you being with us today by the way if maybe you're new at the well and you don't get my weekly email i send out a, a, an email every friday about the latest things that are happening at the well. If you don't get that, you can just go to our website, wellchurch.org, scroll to the bottom of the page, and then there's a a little form you can fill out that says uh, subscribe to Ryan's weekly email. And you just put in your name and email address, and you'll get my email every week. So just go to the website, scroll to the bottom of the page, and you can get my email. Thanks for being with us today. And today... There's also a communion service for us if you'd like to participate and take communion with us at the end of the service. Just have a piece of bread and a beverage ready after the sermon and we'll take communion together. So today is week one of our brand new series, Reset Life After the COVID Lockdown. And no one really knows when the COVID lockdown will end. We hope sooner rather than later, but all of us can reflect on what we've learned over the past year during the COVID lockdown. Some of us would probably rather not. We would just rather move on and not think about this past year at all, I would completely understand. But this has been an enormous uh, opportunity for all of us to stop and reflect about life. The COVID lockdown has given us this opportunity to hit the reset button, to reevaluate. Have you found yourself kind of looking at life differently? and thinking about some things that you've learned during the lockdown that you would like to apply to your life whenever the lockdown ends. And so during this series, we're asking the question, what have you learned about life during the COVID lockdown that will help you if you remember it after the lockdown ends? What would that be for you? What are some things that you've learned? And it's given us this opportunity to hit the reset button and and apply what we've learned Uh, during the lockdown to our lives after the lockdown ends. And to help us explore, we're looking at a familiar list of words, traits, qualities that are found uh, in the New Testament letter to the Galatians chapter 5. And they go like this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, there could be exceptions to this, but I'd be willing to bet whatever it is you've learned during the COVID lockdown, would fall under one of those nine words. Maybe not, but I think there's a good chance. And so those are called the fruit of the spirit. So this series is about applying what we've learned during the lockdown to make our lives better and using the structure of the fruit of the spirit. So if you would like to type and and comment now, wherever you're watching this, uh, would you share your answer to that question? What have you learned about life during the COVID lockdown that would help you after the lockdown ends? Please type that in the comments, if you would, and share with us. And uh, we'll all benefit from reading what each other uh, you know, have learned. And so I asked that question on Facebook a few weeks ago, and, and I wanted to share some r- responses with you. So somebody wrote, when, when the lockdown started, a song called Be the Light, was released. And in it, there's a lyric, in a race you can't win, just slow it down. I've learned that it is in these slow everyday moments, there is precious life that I don't want to miss because I was too busy checking something off my to-do list. Overall though, that song has become a life anthem for me to be life, love, and peace in a world filled with discrimination, hate, and violence. Well said. Somebody else wrote, I've learned to never take hugs or a friendly shoulder to cry on for granted in this time of physical distancing. Somebody else wrote, I've learned even more now how important people in the healthcare community are, as well as caretakers behind the scenes. Somebody else wrote, Never take time with friends and family for granted. Isn't that true? Uh, Do the girls' trip that's been planned forever. Go on long walks with your spouse and enjoy the simple things. Somebody else wrote, go to all the concerts just go to all of them right just whenever there's an experience and you're thinking about well you know should i go to that concert or not he says just go somebody else wrote the outdoors is important calling people is important rituals are important somebody else wrote embrace the little victories have you learned that during this time just to celebrate the little things in life find joy in the little things And then one more. Somebody wrote, you never know when your last time will be with a person or place until long after it's already happened. Act and live accordingly. I loved all that feedback. So how about you? Please type in the comments. What have you learned during the COVID lockdown that will help you after the lockdown ends? So today we're talking about uh, the first fruit of the Spirit, which is love. So what have you learned about love during the COVID lockdown that would make your life better. The fruit of the Spirit come from the New Testament letter to the Galatians uh, written by the Apostle Paul. Paul traveled and started new churches, and then he would move on to the next place, and then he would write letters of encouragement or challenge back to those congregations that he had started. And The Galatians were a Celtic people who had migrated to what is now Turkey, and the Romans called them Gauls, so you can kind of hear Gaul, Gal, Galatians, Galatians. And this letter was written early in Paul's ministry, probably the late 40s or early 50s. It's one of the earliest pieces of Christian literature that we have. And it's incredibly influential. At the time, there were traveling evangelists who were teaching the Gentile Galatian Christians that they needed to observe Jewish dietary laws in order to be Christians. And Paul said, no, that's not the case. And so this was the beginning of Christianity becoming essentially a new religion, a separate religion from Judaism. Now, we don't really face that context today, but there are other ways that we can apply uh, the meaning of Galatians. And so I'm going to start reading from chapter 5, verse 13, and then you'll see the fruit of the Spirit in this passage. Let's read Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command love your neighbor as yourself. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Do you think Americans could use that passage in 2021? Think about all the things that Paul describes there. We're living in a time in which Americans are biting and devouring each other, attacking each other like animals. It's called Facebook, Twitter, uh, etc. Thanksgiving dinner, right? Paul says, you were called to be free, not enslaved by hatred and dissension and discord, fits of rage and selfish ambition. So Paul says to keep in step with the Spirit, to walk with the Spirit of God. And here is how you know you're walking with the Spirit. You see these qualities in your life. These qualities in your life are the result of keeping in step with the Spirit, of walking with the Spirit of God in your life. Love, joy, peace, and so on. These are the result. This is how you know when you're walking with the Spirit. If you're seeing those qualities come from your life, you're living a good life. You're living well. You're experiencing well-being. And today we're starting with love. What have you learned about love during the COVID lockdown? Now, the English language has an overly broad definition of love. We say, I love my children. And then we say, I love my new toaster. I love my family. And I love the new shampoo I got from Target. We use the same word, but we mean different things, hopefully at least. We, we just use this one word love, but those of you who've been around church for a while probably know that, that in the Greek language, which the New Testament is written, and there are several different words for love. And the word we translate love in Galatians chapter five and in most of the New Testament is the Greek word agape. It's agape love. And agape is the highest form of love. Look at what agape means. Agape is self-giving love. To put the welfare of others on par with your own. To be concerned about the well-being of someone else. It can also mean goodwill, benevolence, to love dearly, and to think about the interests of others. Agape love expresses the character of, of God first John 4 8 in the New Testament says this watch this God is agape God is love and that word love there is agape God is agape God embodies agape love God's character is agape this is one of those times when you realize that religion and God are two very different things. Religion and Jesus Christ are two very different things. Your experience of religion is one thing, but Jesus as presented in the scripture is an entirely other thing. You may have had an experience of religion or religious people that was anything but agape love. Maybe you were given a picture of God from your religious background or people you know who talk about God all the time that has nothing to do with agape. But the scripture says God is agape. Meditating on that little truth alone could change the entire trajectory of your spiritual life. God is agape. The well is full of people who realize that American Christianity and God Jesus Christ are two very different things. And over the past year, we have clearly seen that there are American Christians who are wrapped up in all kinds of things that have nothing to do with Jesus. There is this thing called American Christianity that expresses itself in all kinds of unhealthy, toxic, militant ways that's tied up with the history of our country and the divisions in our country that has nothing to do with with Jesus Christ. God is agape. Jesus is agape. The most prominent religious figure in American Christianity in the last 75 years was Billy Graham. When he passed away in 2018, there was a mixed response, to say the least, to his life and death. So how you feel about Billy Graham is up to you. That's not my point today. I I want to make a different point about his life. Billy Graham almost single-handedly built what became evangelical Christianity in the United States and around the world. But he was also somebody who was clearly on a journey throughout his life. Throughout his life, evangelical Christianity that he started began moving in an increasingly diverging direction from his own life. There is not nearly enough attention paid to this. Because he was so famous by the end of his life, nobody wanted to challenge him. Everybody wanted to kind of claim him as their own. But he started as an almost fundamentalist, you know, fire-breathing preacher in the 1940s. And then he became embroiled in politics with Richard Nixon and learned a lesson. And then as he aged, he mellowed both in his delivery, but also in his theological positions and his view of the world. By the 1970s, Billy Graham did become uh, did begin separating from the evangelical movement that he largely created. And once again, not nearly enough attention has been paid to this. But let me give you several examples. When the more fundamentalist evangelicals signed a statement about the Bible called the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy, that The Bible trumps science. The world was created in six literal days, even if if science says something different. Lots of evangelical Christians signed that statement on biblical inerrancy. Billy Graham did not sign it. And he stated that he saw it as unnecessary and divisive. When evangelicals adopted the anti-abortion movement as their primary political cause in the 1970s, he stated that, He thought abortion should be allowed in cases of rape, incest and when the mother's life is in danger. Now, that's a conservative position, but it was a departure from the more fundamentalist evangelical Christian position of the time. He also stated he opposed the death penalty, partly because of the racial component in in death row cases, that that, uh, people on death row were disproportionately black. That was definitely a departure from this evangelical movement that he had helped to found but became increasingly disconnected from him throughout his life. Billy Graham told the pastor Robert Shuler in the 1990s that he believed a person could be saved by Jesus who had never heard of the name of Jesus from all over the world, the Muslim world, the atheists from different religions. Now, once again, that's a To to somebody who would call yourself a progressive or a liberal, that sounds like a conservative position, but that is definitely not the position of the more fundamentalist evangelical camp that has come to define evangelical Christianity today. Billy Graham had a wider view of God's mercy than that. And then as an example that I think is telling, later in his life, again in the 1990s, during a sermon, Billy was talking about God's love. And Billy stated that he... Had had realized God's love in his own life to the extent that it was hard for him to even kill bugs. And when he said that in the sermon, he's in a stadium full of people. There, people chuckled. But he said, "I I feel God's love so deeply in my own life. I hate to see that little life snuffed out. To kill a bug that." That's not the typical Southern Baptist position on killing bugs. There is clearly, throughout Billy Graham's life, this path that diverged from the more fundamentalist, evangelical, Christian path that we see now in the United States. Billy was clearly on a journey. Now, his son has taken a different path, and he's used his father's name in a way that does not honor the agape journey that his dad was on throughout his life, but I would say that as Billy aged, you could see in his life an attempt to keep in step with the Spirit. That as the Spirit of God called him, he was willing to grow and change and wrestle with what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Now once again, he's still a polarizing figure to many people, he's a conservative figure, but. His commitment to keeping in step with the Spirit, as I see it, led him on a path, a a journey that I have not seen in a lot of evangelical leaders, especially now in the United States. But I see that as the result of attempting to keep in step with the Spirit of God and and attempting to, to, to ask, what does love look like? So one of the challenges we've had over the past year is defining love to figure out what it looks like to love people when it's really difficult. What does it look like to love people who vote differently than you do? What does it look like to love people who disagree with you? What does it look like to love people who not only disagree with you, but who say things that you find morally offensive? Because not all disagreement is what we make it out to be. Disagreeing with somebody doesn't mean we have to hate each other. There are some things we disagree about that are really minor things. There are other things that we disagree about that that are worth disagreeing about and that do pose an ethical dilemma for us. What does it mean to love people who say things that are racist, who refuse to challenge their own assumptions and end up perpetuating the same injustices and evils that have been perpetuated, many in the name of Christianity throughout the United States. What does it mean to love people who express fascistic ideas? That's where we are now in 2021 America. What does it mean to love people who express violent ideas and use violent rhetoric against other people? Love looks like speaking the truth speaking the truth in love that's a that's a phrase that comes from ephesians but you know you're keeping in step with the spirit when you are concerned about the well-being of everybody when you look beyond your own interest your own your own politics your own tribe your own cultural identity and you start to care about how everybody is doing in the world because god loves you and god loves everybody when somebody is threatening the well-being of another The loving thing to do is to stand up and do what is loving for everybody as much as possible. So if you want to read more about what love looks like, even in a difficult time like the one we're living in, Martin Luther King Jr. comes to mind. Dietrich Bonhoeffer comes to mind. They both had to confront critics who thought love meant appeasement and just letting evil, aggressive people do whatever they wanted in society. And those leaders said, no, that's not what love means. Love means speaking the truth and doing what is right by everybody. And when you feel God's love for you, God's love will fill up your heart and spill out, spill over into the lives of other people. I think that's what Paul is getting at here when he talks about the result of keeping in step with the Spirit of God in your life, that once you feel God's love for you, it's just going to spill over out of your life and and into the lives of the people around you. John Wesley was a spiritual leader in, in the 18th century who founded what became the Methodist Church. And he wrote a sermon called On Love in 1736. And Wesley wrote, again, love is kind. Whosoever feels the love of God and man shed abroad in his heart feels an ardent and uninterrupted thirst after the happiness Of all his fellow creatures. Wesley said, love is thirsting for the happiness of others. Wow. I don't know about you, but much of my time is spent thinking about my own needs. And we've certainly seen over the past year during the COVID lockdown, so many people who seem to care only about their own needs, their own views and and didn't seem to care about the well-being of other people and and Wesley Wesley wrote that true love is thinking about the happiness of other people I'm challenged by that how often do you think about the happiness of other people do you do you spend time meditating on what would make other people happy what would make other people's lives better think about if we it, If we spent a fraction of the time we spend thinking about our own happiness, thinking about the happiness of other people, think about how differently this world would have been over the past year. Could we learn that about love after the COVID lockdown ends? That love means to thirst for the happiness of other people. When you realize how much God loves you and God thinks about your best interest, God has agape love for you and concern for your well-being and in and your heart is is filled with God's love automatically. You don't have to try. Automatically, when you feel the love God has for you, it spills over out of your own life, and you begin to think about the happiness of other people, the well-being of other people. Henry Nouwen wrote in a book called Here and Now, Living in the Spirit, to love is to embody God's infinite love in a faithful communion with another human being. Now, he was talking about marriage, in that passage but it applies to every encounter we have with another person or being and the way we view everyone and everything around us to embody god's infinite love to be so full of god's love and we feel god's love that it just spills over and we have this this communion this community with everyone and everything around us love looks like Liz Smith she had two dreams in life to become a pediatric nurse and to be a mom and she achieved the first dream and she was the director of nursing at the franciscan children's hospital in boston but she had not been able to achieve the second dream and then there was a baby born in her hospital who had been abandoned and had received no visitors in the first five months of her life Let's watch what love can look like.
1: Two-year-old Giselle Smith just glows with happiness and joy, and she should. She now lives in a world full of love. Far from the world she was born into, weighing less than two pounds, she needed a feeding tube and special care. She was in the custody of the state, her birth parents apparently unable to care for her. And for five months, not a single person visited this baby in the hospital. Then. A chance encounter changed everything. This little girl in the stroller crossed my path, and I said, who is that beautiful little angel? And the
0: nurse said, this is Giselle. That was the moment where I realized this was meant to be.
1: That's Liz Smith, the director of nursing at Franciscan Children's Hospital in Boston. Liz had been trying unsuccessfully to start a family of her own. I thought my door to motherhood had closed. Liz knew this could be the second chance at a family that she and Giselle both needed. So she took in the baby as her foster daughter, knowing it might not be forever. That was hard because there was a lot of unknown. But what I did know is that she deserved every ounce of love I had to give her. But then Liz got the news that she and Giselle had been waiting for. Her adoption finalized. Liz getting to hear the one word she always hoped for. She calls me mama or mom? No, mama. Oh, mama, sorry. (laughs) She calls me mama.
0: When your heart is full of love, it automatically spills out onto the other people around you. When you are filled with God's love, when you realize God's agape love for you, it automatically spills over into the lives of people around you and you can find yourself being concerned about the well-being of others. Whether it's a little baby who hasn't gotten visitors in five months or it's somebody who is lonely during the COVID lockdown and, and in need of friendship, or it's somebody who disagrees with you, and you realize that's a human being too, and you speak out for the people that they are that they are hurting, and at the same time you realize God loves everybody. And so we're always thinking about what is what is the loving thing, what leads to the well-being of everybody as much as possible. Is that what love could look like in your life after the lockdown? ends. If it, as we close today, maybe you need to feel God's love in your life. Maybe you're in a place where this has been one of the most difficult experiences we've ever had and and you feel beaten down and fatigued and tired and, and tempted to be cynical and it's just all been too much and you need to feel God's love, God's agape love for you. The The Love of God is a hymn uh, written by Frederick Lehman and his daughter, Claudia Mays, uh, in 1917. And it was adapted from a medieval Jewish prayer. And they heard the story of this poem that had been scribbled on the wall of an asylum in the 1700s. Someone who was a prisoner in this asylum wrote these words on the wall before his death. And it was actually this medieval Jewish prayer that the patient had written on the wall. And and Frederick Lehman and his daughter Claudia heard this story and they were so moved by it, by this experience, thinking about this person who was imprisoned and in one of the most difficult, painful times of suffering in their lives, and they scribbled this this prayer on the wall. They were so moved by it that they, they added lyrics to that poem and they wrote a song that they entitled The Love of God. And I just want to read some of the lyrics of the song, and and part of what I'm reading here is this, this prayer that was written on the wall of this asylum. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. If you love someone so much that you told them, you know, if I were to write my love for you and I used all of the the water in the ocean as ink, it would drain the ocean dry. That person would know that you love them. And imagine if somebody said that to you. If somebody looked at you and they said, you know, if I, if I had to write how much I love you and I had to use ocean water as ink, it would drain the ocean dry. The meaning of this medieval Jewish prayer that became a song called the love of God is God saying that to you. God who is Agape, God who is the embodiment of love, God whose defining characteristic is self-giving love that is concerned about the interest of others, that is concerned about you and your happiness and your well-being. The meaning of that prayer and that song is God looking at you and saying to you, if I were to write the love that I have for you and I had to use the ocean as my ink, it would drain the ocean dry religion and God are two very different things and regardless of your experience of religion that's what the scripture says God would say to you that God is saying to you if I had to write my love for you it would drain the ocean dry what if you began to feel God's love for you that I am loved like that. We mentioned Henry now, and he wrote another book called The Life of the Beloved. You are the beloved. Beloved of God. God loves you. You are somebody who was loved by God. The primary identity marker in your life is that you are beloved. You are somebody who is loved by God. It would drain the ocean dry. What if you began to feel God's love for you like that? Wouldn't it fill your heart and then you don't even have to try. Automatically, when you feel God's love for you like that, automatically you find yourself wanting to let God's love spill over out of your own life and into the lives of other people. It's not something you need to make happen. It just automatically happens. When you feel God's love for you like that, that's what it means to keep in step with the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit, the result of that of that realization of God's love for you automatically is love flowing out of your own life and into communion, community with the people around you. So that's what they called in seminary a segue. And now we're going to take communion together. And if you'd like to participate with us, you don't have to be a member of the well wherever you are. If you say, yeah, I want to live this kind of a life. I want to sign on with this. Well, and we welcome you to take communion with us. And if you want to grab a piece of bread and a beverage and just have it with you, um, we're going to take communion together now. And on the night he was betrayed, which we commemorated a week ago Thursday, the Thursday before Easter, Jesus shared a meal with his disciples. And he picked up a piece of bread and he thanked God for the bread. And he broke the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you eat it, remember me. So invite you to take the piece of bread that you have and let's consume the bread together now. And in the same way he took the cup and he thanked God for it and he said, This is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, remember me. And let's drink now from the cup. invite you to pray with me. God, thank you that there is a better way than what we have experienced over this past year. During the COVID lockdown and all of the, the events that have taken place in the United States over the past year, we have seen some of the worst of human behavior and we've seen some of the best. We've seen folks who spewed hatred, and who have inflamed racial divisions and, and, and proclaimed out loud ideologies that many of us thought were dead and, and gone from this country. And at the same time, we have seen incredible expressions of love from essential workers and, and, and doctors and nurses and caretakers and friends who checked, on on other pe- checked in on other people and, and gave of themselves and expressed agape love in one of the most difficult years of our history. And God, as we ask ourselves the question, what can we learn from the COVID lockdown that would make our lives better after the lockdown ends? This is one of them. What would it it mean to love people more fully? What have we learned about love during the COVID lockdown that we could apply to our lives after the lockdown ends? And we read here that the defining characteristic of you, God, is agape love, self-giving love, love that is concerned about the well-being of other people. As Wesley said, to thirst for the happiness of other people. Think about how much different our society could be if we all looked at each other that way. If we were concerned about the well-being of each other. And that's the first result of having the Spirit of God in your life. That's the first sign that we're keeping in step with the, the Spirit. That we feel your love to the extent that it just spills over out of our lives onto the people around us. And we become concerned about their well-being and, and, and what we can do to make their lives better as much as our own. So God, we thank you for week one of this series and this fruit of the Spirit love that we can learn from and apply to our lives after the lockdown.